0: Welcome to Launchpad, the unique radio show and podcast that celebrates new book releases and the authors that created them. Now, let's take off with your host, Grace Salmon.
1: Welcome to episode eight of Launchpad. I'm your host, Grace Salmon, and on behalf of Mary Helen Sheriff, the author marketing coach, and myself, we're so happy that you're joining us. Today, we welcome Antonina Duridonova, Kelly I. Hitchcock, Marlene Pash, and Rob Sanborn. If you are joining us live on Facebook, please jump in, ask questions, make comments. We'd love to have this show be all about you. I'm very excited that at this episode, it's going to be unique. We are going to be touching on mental illness, abuse, memoir, historical fiction, kleptomania, demons, real and internal and even a touch of magical realism. Everyone, welcome to the Storyteller's microphone and the Launchpad microphone. Thank you. you. It's great to have everybody. I'd like to invite um, Antoninia first. Tell us
2: about your book. Uh, My name is Antonina Duridanova, and I am the writer of New Beginnings, From Behind the Iron Curtain to America. It's a book which I wrote to inspire my readers with the story of a 19-year-old girl who in 1969 escapes from communist Bulgaria, uh, the communist regime in Bulgaria, a country in Eastern Europe, uh, to pursue and realize her dreams in the most democratic country in the world, in America. Uh, With three degrees, uh, a degree in foreign languages, in business administration, and international trade, she becomes an expert in international taxation, working for United States Treasury Department. And uh, subsequently, uh, when communism falls down, she's invited by the Bulgarian government to participate in the building up of a new tax administration in Bulgaria, which is supposed to work uh, in a world of free market economy, as uh, a United States tax advisor. Uh, subsequently, she spent three and a half years um, transmitting and transferring and uh, sharing her knowledge and experience with tax officials in uh, Bulgaria, the country which she left when she was a girl. So. This is a a synopsis of the story. Of course, it has three parts. The book has an educational part. Uh, It's educational because it is history. Uh, It's the history uh, in Eastern Europe, Bulgaria uh, being one of them as a representative during communism. Then it's uh, about immigration during those years of communism. And finally, it's about... uh, the um, the new democracies that uh, appear in Eastern Europe. Uh, so, with that being said, um, there are values that are being uh, brought up in the book, and the values uh, are about freedom. The question is, what is freedom? And freedom is, of course, uh, the ability to choose, uh, the right, and uh, uh, the opportunity to choose uh, where you live, what you do, how you uh, pursue your career and how you succeed in in life as an individual. And, and- we'll be
1: talking more. I, I don't mean to cut you off, but we'll be talking more and more about your book as we go out, go throughout the show. It's such a riveting story. And, you know, you refer to it as she did this and she did right. that. But yes. I really want all of our <laughs> listeners to know that that she is you and it's an amazing story. Let's do a very big pivot to Kelly I. Hitchcock and her amazing book, uh, Rich with Humor, Community Klepto.
3: Thank you. Uh, This is my book, Community Klepto. It just came out in June. It's my third novel. And this is a humorous fiction novel about Anne Josephson. And and she is not me. We'll just get that out of the way.
1: (laughs) Not not memoir.
3: And yes, not memoir, Anne is a 25-year-old freelance graphic designer who is a little bit of a sociopath and a lot of a kleptomaniac. And she compulsively steals from people at her gym as a messed up way of connecting with others because it's the only way she knows how. So this book follows her um, as she manages her illness and tries to become a better person. And, but it mostly follows her through the gym because that's where she spends most of her time. So, um, it's a vehicle for making fun to poke fun at gym culture, to poke fun at some of the tropes of people at the gym. Like you've got your big beefy guys who lift super like heavy weights and then drop them as loudly as possible and grunt as loud as possible. You've got the people in the locker room who are just comfortable being completely naked and picking up a conversation with you. Um, so those kinds of people. Um, the people who hog swim lanes, the whole, like, it runs the whole gamut. So we follow and as she has these interactions with all of these people. Some of the interactions are light and funny. Some of them are sad and tragic. And you'll just have to read to find out what they are. And this is if you have a love-hate relationship with the gym this book is for
1: you. <laughs> and I love that because, you know, I join a gym, I just don't go. So I, I, I love <laughs> the way you framed your work, Kelly. We've got several people who are joining us. People are saying good afternoon and welcome. Mary Sheriff says, the choice of freedom here is something that we take such for granted here in the United States. Yes. Um, so we'll we'll talk more about that too. Mary also really loves the uh, community klepto cover. So let's move on now to Tomor- lean Pash, such a different book, Stars mm-hmm. in Their Infancy. What a beautiful opening, too, to your book.
4: Oh, thank you so much, Grace. It's a pleasure to be here. This is my book, Stars in Their Infancy. I think the best way to describe mm-hmm. it is by actually reading one of the blurbs from my book, because uh, Priscilla menardi did such a fabulous job of condensing it. She wrote that STARS is a tapestry of four characters who must transcend their pasts in order to heal. With a hint of the mystical, STARS shows there are myriad possibilities in this world, both inside ourselves and beyond the reach of our senses, if only we know where to look. One element that isn't covered there though is that there is indeed a fifth character in this book, and that's a massive formation that runs through the fictional town of Macmillan, Pennsylvania. It's called the Allegheny Front. And it was formed millions of years ago when um, parts of the earth crashed up against each other and formed a, a formidable barrier between two parts of this town, what became two parts of this town. But eventually there were ways discovered over and through it. And that's the metaphor for what happens with these characters when they interact, when they discover, do they have the capacity
1: to heal? Awesome. And I love the cover of your book as well. And last but not least, Rob Samborn, who has such a diverse background of novelist, screenwriter, traveler. Rob, tell us about Painter of the Damned.
0: I will. First of all, Grace, thank you so much for having me on your program. Kelly, Marlene, and Antonina, wonderful to be here with you. Uh, thank you to the audience and everybody for joining us. So yes, I am Rob Sanborn. I am here in Denver. And I am the author of a couple of books. One, The first one is called The Prisoner of Paradise, which was released uh, by Touchpoint Press last November. And then the follow-up is Painter of the Damned also released by Touchpoint Press. This one just came out October 25th. And then I also have a spin-off novella called The Swordsman of Venice. And they're all part of the same series called um, Painted Souls. And it is a dual timeline thriller series that follows an American couple who travel to Venice, Italy. And the husband comes to believe that his true soulmate is not his wife, but a woman whose soul has been trapped in the world's largest oil painting for about 450 years. Uh, so his wife thinks that he's suffering from delusions, he recently had a massive head injury, but he's adamant that this is all real. And he goes on a quest to learn more and discovers this ancient uh, religious order that over centuries has developed a method of extracting people's souls from their bodies and then they imprison them in this massive painting which is real as a purgatory of sorts. Uh, he will do anything to free his soulmate from another life, but this religious order will never let that happen. Uh, they also have their sights set on much, much bigger stakes. So it does become this kind of big uh, historical thriller series. So it's most often described as uh, the Da Vinci Code meets Outlander.
1: The Da Vinci Code meets?
0: Outlander. Outlander. Because oh, it has... It. the. <laughs> Yeah. It's not really time travels, more past life regressions, but yeah. Mm.
1: I love that. Who, do, who is not an Outlander fan? <laughs> I want to thank the people who are continuing to join us. Barbara Conry, USA Today bestseller, uh, Marion O'Shea Wernicke. So it's great to have uh, some familiar faces and some new faces with us here on the launch pad. Let's go to genre for a minute because our genres are all over the lot here. And, i'd like to start with memoir and go back to antonina because memoir is something i never used to navigate towards and now i am absolutely fascinated by it so antonina why
2: memoir for you Oh uh, i chose a memoir because it is my personal story and i wanted to tell it to the world um it is something very personal because it describes my own experiences as a witness. And as some of the, my, my readers have said, uh, my book should be in the history books of Bulgaria or of Eastern Europe. So I, I, uh, I feel that uh, a memoir is important to reveal the true picture of life in different situations or different times of life, uh, different regimes, uh, because uh, um, when you tell a story in a memoir, it's much easier for uh, people to conceive it than than going to history books and so forth, which you know that a lot of times are being rewritten. And um, being a true story, it uh, um, uh, portrays what is necessary for people to do to succeed in life. And and that was uh, uh, a mission that I wanted to accomplish, actually, uh, to lead people to a path which will bring them happiness and uh, success.
1: And I love that you talk about that you're leading people to happiness and success. Marlene, you were talking in your book about healing and um you know, do you, see, do you seek um, revenge or do you seek to heal? Will you talk more about your genre and how that obviously is a, also an important theme for you?
4: Well, it's women's literary fiction, although I have to say that when men read the book, because there are strong male characters in the book, um, I get some pretty interesting feedback Um I guess because they're they're surprised that in a work of women's fiction, the male characters come across so clearly and strongly. As far as the concept of healing goes, um, I try to follow E.M. Forrester when I write, when I speak. And um, I don't know if you remember this, but in the beginning of Howard's End, he writes only connect. And my goal in my work is to allow people, women in particular, to know that they're not alone in their challenges, their trials, that there are solutions, that they're not easy, they're not path, they don't come quickly, and yet um, the opportunity to grow beyond them is what moves the stories and the people forward in real life.
1: And our characters feel so real to us, don't they? That you know, uh, we talked about memoir, but our characters are so real. We're telling their story as well. Rob, let's jump to you for a minute. Um, you have a character. I want to back up a little bit onto what Marlene was saying about the strong male characters. But I love that the character in your book, Julia, is on a quest to save her husband. Let's talk more about your genre of a little bit of mysticism, a little bit of historical fiction, dual timeline, and a, and a female character.
0: Thank you. Yeah, there are a number of different genres, so you could definitely call it multi-genre. I also want to thank Michelle and Wade for her comment. Uh, she said she got the chills listening to what my book sent around. And thank you, Michelle. And that actually ties directly into this question. Uh, so they are historical thrillers, but the crux of the entire series is actually a love story. And it really uh, revolves around the the idea of soulmates. And are soulmates even destined to be together or not? And if not, would that actually, would the soulmates travel across time through lives Um, and all that? So it does touch on a number of different aspects like that. And yeah, so I do like writing strong female characters for sure. Um, and Julia is the wife who I was referencing before, and she actually becomes the main character of the second book. You could say um, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but her husband is definitely the main character of the first book. But she really has this amazing character arc across the series, and I think people will look back to the first book as almost of an origins, uh, an origin story of sorts. So she, I love characters who are really um, heroes, but not necessarily born heroes. And then they rise to the occasion when faced with confrontation or challenges, especially when the, the stakes and consequences of those challenges are much bigger than they are. Um, and so like in Julia's case, you know, she's a, a tourist in Venice basically, and she could just go home, but she does realize how high these stakes are and she does rise to the occasion. So I love those types of characters, especially when they're strong female characters.
1: Thank you. Let's pop to Kelly, who has these amazing characters. And you talk, You call your genre literary fiction. So would you focus a little bit on literary fiction and then tell us more, more about your characters at the same time?
3: I do call it that. I,
1: I think it kind of
3: doesn't quite fit in the traditional box for, for, for literary fiction. Um, part of that's... You know, I write fiction for the ladies and when you write fiction for, for women, people assume that, oh, you write romance and the story definitely has some romantic elements to it. Um, as Mary said, it's a great title and it has a beautiful cover. They really nailed it. And I nailed it with the title, but, um, you know, a lot of the feedback that I've gotten from the book is that it's not like anyone has ever read. And when publishers have something that nobody's ever read, they don't really know what to do with it which is probably why it took me so long to get it published. But uh, Ann Josephson kind of started, like I said, she's not me. I'm not a sociopath, unless you ask my husband. Um, (laughs) And I'm not a kleptomaniac, although none of the uh, (laughs) pint glasses in my cabinet were gotten um, completely honestly. But, um, you know, I was living in Kansas City. I was training for a marathon, so I was spending a lot of time in the gym and I was like, I have all these things that I want to say about these people at the gym and I can't say them. But if I were a fictional character, I could totally say them inside my head. So that's how the story came to be. I know, Marlene, like you were, were wondering where I got the inspiration for Anne. Um, and That's the, the short version of it. <laughs>
1: Let's talk more about inspiration. All of our stories are different. Um, Rob, are you the only one who writes in series? Does anybody else write in series? So Marlene, yours are, oh, that's right, Your are Zara series. So let's talk first then to Marlene and Rob about why write in series.
0: Please. You go, Rob. No, you please, after you.
4: OK why because i am such a character driven author that i need to know not only where they came from but where they're going what else they can manifest that brings um again you know go to that that concept of only connect okay is this person really going to be able to grow? I identify with this part of them. I wondered, is there hope for me? And what happens to Liana or to Allison or to Quinn? And uh, I just get so deeply enmeshed in them that I don't want to let go. It's as
1: simple as that. We do. We do miss our characters when we <laughs> have to let them go. Rob, comment on that.
0: A fairly similar answer, actually. So I wrote the first book, The Prisoner of Paradise, <clears throat> as a script. Um, as you mentioned, I'm also a screenwriter. That script was optioned by um, a production company founded by DreamWorks execs, which was pretty cool. Uh, unfortunately, cool. It was never made into a movie. And when the rights reverted back to me, I decided to adapt it into a book. Originally, like I said, it was always in, uh, I did say this, I forgot. It was the intent was always to make it a standalone book. Um, But similar to what Marlene was saying is that the characters um, really wanted to continue the story. So I write character-driven thrillers. And while I was writing the book, it just organically evolved into so much more. The characters wanted to continue the story um, if they were alive, those I didn't kill. (laughs) And it you know, just blossomed from there. And it was really an incredible experience for me because it happened so organically. Uh, so yes, so that that is why. And I should point out that actually, even the, the second book can be read as a standalone, um, but it is mostly the same characters and some new characters. It's oh, all about you. the characters, though.
1: Thank you for that. And um, Meredith Stoddard, who is a very outlander-ish writer, um, is here and she says she loves fiction as catharsis for the things we cannot say. So she is definitely in tune with Kelly on that. I'd like to go to the idea of what prompted each of you to write the book now. Let's start with Antonina. You obviously have a compelling story, but why did you tell it now?
2: Well, there are probably a few reasons. And uh, maybe the the most important is that I never had enough time to sit down and write. As I pointed out, I worked for United States Treasury. It was a very demanding position. I have a family, three children that I wrote. So this was uh, something that was in the back of my mind. And I was also encouraged by a lot of people that I knew colleagues, friends, who uh, always ask me when I'm, in, I'm going to sit down and write this book. Um, I I felt compelled to write it, uh, of course, after I, I had more free time, and, and maybe Uh, This is something pointed out, pointing out to my readers that if you have a dream, you should always pursue it. I did have a dream to write Mm -hmm. and I did have it uh, on my mind. I never left it or dropped it. So uh, it is just, uh, uh, I would say, something that should inspire people to continue with their dreams and and not forget them if they have something that at the moment is preventing them to to. To, to do whatever they need to do or they want to do.
1: <laughs> I love that, to always follows our dreams. Uh, cathartic Reads, glad Kelly mentioned I considered my book. This is from Elizabeth Sumner-Watler. She also considered her book um, to be Uh, very much about being around catharsis. It's great to have Elizabeth with us today. And Barbara Connery mentions that Antonia Duradonova's book sounds very, very timely. Kelly, back to you, because you gave us a hint about why you wrote the book about hanging out in the gym. So first of all, did you run the marathon? I did. It's my one and only. uh, One and done. No, But you did it, and congratulations. But I did it. Was the timing for the book just right then for you?
3: It started out as a short story, um, a scene that is in the the, the book. It started out as a short story that was just an an interaction between Anne and someone who was on the treadmill next to her. And the more I went to the gym, the more I saw people, um, especially in Johnson County, Kansas, where I was at the time just leaving their stuff, like not just jackets and stinky socks, but like iPads and like brand new iPhones, keys to a BMW, just laying around like everywhere where anybody could just walk up and take it. Um, What if somebody did? And what if it was Anne? And what if Anne was a bit of a nutter and a bit of a kleptomaniac? And um, it was also, um, I started writing the book in 2012, which was right after you know, like things were starting to recover from the last recession, which was not a great time for people who were 25 years old trying to make it in the world. Um, so I also just wrote it as a way to address some of the mil- millennial um, like battles in the world because uh, I'm a geriatric mil- millennial at this point, I think is what they call us, like those of us who already turned 40. This book came out one week after my 40th birthday. Um <laughs> But, uh, you know, we kind of get beat up a lot as millennials, but uh, so that was why I wrote the book.
1: I did not know you could be a geriatric millennial from somebody who's almost 70. I love that.
3: (laughs) And I hate that, but whatever.
1: (laughs) Welcome to my end of the uh, continuum, my dear. I'd like to talk about each of your characters a little bit more in depth, because even in Antonina's case, where she is the character, we have people who are brave. We have people who are flawed. Marlene's book talks about abuse um, in, in some very tangible ways. And let's each talk a little bit more about our characters. Rob, let's start with you.
0: Sure. Sure. Um, so I like what you're saying just now is I love characters who just have a, a ton of gray area. Um, and, you know, we've spoken a lot about protagonists. I want to talk a little bit more about antagonists, because I think that they tend to be a little bit more fun to write because you can build in that gray area into them and imbue, imbue them with you know, all these complex decisions of right and wrong, especially, you know, why are they doing something? I don't like things where you have an antagonist who's just like this crazy person um, who's just, you know, committing bad acts for the sake of committing bad acts. So the um, primary antagonist of my stories is a man named Salvatore della Porta, um, who's a Venetian, and he is the head of this ancient religious order that I was talking about, and... He basically, without giving things away, wants power, but for doing the right thing for the world in his head, if that makes sense. So he kind of he thinks that he's, he's making things, of, uh, he's making the world a better place. Um, but really, he, the only way in his head that he can do this is if he's the one doing it and controlling everything. And of course, he'll stop at nothing to do that and doesn't care uh, about who gets hurt
1: in his way. I love that you focused on your antagonist. Marlene, you have an antagonist in yours as well.
4: Well, actually, each character has their own antagonist in the sense that each is warring against or seeking reconciliation with the part of them that is gray. They want clarification on who they are and how they can evolve. the, the main antagonist is a young man who gets off on the wrong foot in life for many reasons. He ends up committing a sexual assault. And he, he wants to be the exception to the rule. He wants to be the one that can recover From this path that he has set out on and these other characters around him help him decide if in fact he can do that and how
1: he can progress along this stage of recovery and healing. I love that. And so do many of our Facebook viewers there. They find that the show today is particularly interesting. I love that we have Michelle Ann Waite and E.G. Runyon talking back and forth about the genres. So this is exactly what we're trying to accomplish here on the launch pad. Kelly, talk about your antagonists.
3: Well, in a way, Ann's kind of her own antagonist. Um, it's the first part of her first name. So, uh, you know, she is both kind of the protagonist, like, but at at the start of the book, nobody likes her. And in fact, with most of my books, like um, the feedback I get is, wow, I really don't like your character in like chapters one through five. Um, But, you know, it's good to have flawed characters. Like Marian said, the most central, um, the the most interesting central characters are people who are flawed, but you root for them anyway. So, and, you know, she's stealing from people. She's making fun of people. She's not exactly... A likable woman uh but you know at the same time you don't want her to get caught you don't want um her to have to move back into her basement with her parents who are kind of antagonistic too um in the way that parents are and uh you know you want her to get better and manage her illness and not you know be battling these demons that she's battling
1: We love to cheer on a flawed character. Antonina, you are the character in your book. There are so many things that worked against. You were almost out of time. Tell us a little bit about how you were able to, at such a young age, to pick up and go to the United States. Where did you find that bravery?
2: Uh, okay, there. there's probably where I was brought up and how I was brought up. I was raised in an educational family. My father was a well-known professor in linguistics, and my mom was a historian. So I had books around me from an early age, but also grew up in my grandmother's village. Uh, I spent the summers there, and uh, uh, the people in this village are very uh, free-liking, um, um, for example, in the museum, even today, if you go, there is a banner on which it says "Freedom or Death." So, if you grow up in a in an environment where freedom is very important for a person to to really develop to grow, then uh, this stays with you, and uh, you use your um, characteristics of being tenacious, of being um, uh, very uh, much goal oriented, and to pursue your goals to the end. Um, it wasn't a, an easy decision because when I, I was 19, I had to say goodbye to my mom forever because people who left uh, these communist countries at the time, they could not go back. Um, so. This was probably the most difficult part and and, and the most uh, dramatic uh, part of the story for, for readers, for my readers, uh, to, to really conceive that I consciously picked up a suitcase and uh, left my mom, kissed her goodbye, and left in the world to pursue happiness not knowing where I was going. Um, uh, so. And, we're, and
1: we're so glad you did. I cannot believe we are out of time. One of the things I like to do here on the launch pad is to build a thread between the four groups. That was not an easy thing to do today. But I love that in each of your books, your past and your present somehow meet up, and you have created these amazing stories. So I'd like each of you to just hold up your book, say goodbye, tell everybody the name of your book one more time. Kelly?
3: This is Community Klepto, available everywhere books are sold.
1: Marlene.
4: Stars in their infancy, and we are running a
3: pre-Black
4: Friday
2: special on Amazon. Yours for only $12.50. Thank you. Antonina. New Beginnings from Behind the Iron Curtain to America. It's available in Amazon and Barnes & Noble's bookstores and anywhere else that you could probably look at.
1: Thank you so much. And last but not least, Rob?
0: Painter of the Damned, which is the latest book in my series, came out a couple of weeks ago. It's also available everywhere. And the audiobook actually, though, will be available November ninth.
1: Thanks to each of you for being here with us on Launchpad on behalf of Mary Helen Sheriff, the author marketing coach. We hope that our listeners have fallen in love with a new author, discovered a new book, and we want to thank everybody for helping us celebrate these authors and these books here on the Launchpad.
0: This episode is copyrighted by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thank you for visiting with us on Launchpad.